Good evening, good evening everybody. If you haven't made your way to your seat, then come on in, there's plenty in the middle here. It's good to see everybody. Happy Father's Day to those fathers. We've got a treat for you after. If you didn't get one this morning, there's some boxes of chocolates. Who knows, if you smile nice at the servers, you might get an extra one. And we have a supper afterwards. But before all that good stuff, church, can I invite you to stand to your feet? And we're going to do what is the most important part of our night. We're going to worship and we're going to hear from the Word of God. But yes, we're going to worship first. Praise God. Praise you, Lord. Stars to 
church. Thank you. You can take your seats. And I'm going to invite Jackie Roberts up. Jackie's one of our elders, and he's going to share um, a simple testimony about what this song, Goodness of God, means to him. Praise God. What a good, sorry. Praise God. What a, a lovely, don't worry, these aren't sermon notes. These are just the words of the chorus. So blessed. This, this means so much to me, this chorus. The verse is this. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never fails me. All my days have been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until the, the, I lay my head, I will sing of the goodness of God. I love your voice. You led me through the fire. In the darkest night, you're close no one, like no other. I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. And I have lived in the goodness of all my life you have been faithful. The reason why I love this chorus is because you know, the Word of God tells, tells us in Romans 8 and 28, for all we know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are called according to His purpose. All things. I'm going to be sure, we, five minutes we testimony, but something happened to me quite a number of years ago. We all go through things in our lives that are devastating, things that are tragic, things that we would rather not go through. But many years ago, I was speaking on the old church, Beth John. I was talking at the back of the church with Dougie, Dougie Masterson. Next thing I knew, I was in the back of an ambulance being taken to hospital. And after a period of time, I was diagnosed with epilepsy. Um, taking these epileptic, epileptic um, blackouts and things. Then they told me I couldn't drive for two years. I worked in the council as a surveyor, and one of the, the, the job descriptions was you had to have a clean driving license to do this work. So of course I had epilepsy, lost my license, I didn't know what was happening with my job, and I went down and the, the, the head of service called me in and he says, Jack, we're willing to let you try and work using buses. Going to bus, this was never heard of before. Um, you know, I'd like you to try and go and do, the, do your work around the building sites with so we did that. He said, if it didn't work out, we'll bring you inside and you can work inside. And that was an answer to prayer. Now, there was about 20 of us at the time, and we were studying. This is the day, days, I'll show you how long it was. The days before the University of Ulster was the University of Ulster. It was Ulster Polytechnic in those days. And it was about 20 odd of us doing a four-year course to play diploma in building, building studies. And the final year of this, this diploma, I took this illness. And I remember going and doing the exam, and my, my, my mind was just frazzled. And I did the exam, and of course the exam results came through, and I failed the exam. All the rest of the guys had passed it, and they were carrying on to do, we're all working towards membership of the Royal Institute of Chartered Surveyors at the time. And they, all the guys passed it, and they were carrying on doing this and doing this. They, they had a lot of things they had to do. I had to reset the whole year. But what had happened in between? The Un Ulster Polytechnic was changed to the University of Ulster. Whenever I finished the, the, the diploma, my diploma was from the University of Ulster. These guys who did it before me and how I failed it, they were all the, the, their diploma was from the Ulster Polytechnic. So whenever they came to apply for the RACS, they had to do jump through hoops, they had to go to interviews, they had to do dissertations, they had to go to England to do stuff. And I applied for mine, and when I got the letter back, I couldn't believe what they said. They said, we were willing to give you membership if you do a 10,000 word dissertation. And I said, what about the interviews? What about the, the going to England? What about all this? And they said to me, your, your diploma was university, universal, uh, uh, university um, quali qualification. And because of that, I didn't have to do the things these other guys did. So what, what worked out evil, or I thought was going to be evil, God had a plan. God had a purpose. God's plan was amazing. And I could, I could spend the rest of the night telling you more and more things how God has blessed us through difficult times. He's made it all work out for good. Listen, if you're here tonight and you're going through difficult times, we know, and that's important, that we know that all things work together for good. That's why we can say tonight, we'll sing this chorus. I can sing of the goodness of God. All my life, 
you have been faithful. All my life you've been so, so good. That's our wonderful God tonight. Trust him and believe him in your situation and he will glorify his name through it. Amen. Thank you, Jackie. Church, I'm going to invite you to stand once more. We're just going to sing the first song once again together before Pastor Matt comes to bring the word. I love you, Lord, for your mercy never failed me. And all my days I've been held in your hands from the moment that Thank you for being here tonight. I hope all the fathers have had a good day, been spoiled, taken out for lunch. Okay. 
maybe we're going to do some work here later. Hey? So that's good. Listen, if you weren't here this morning, uh, we gave all the fathers a box of chocolates. Uh, so we shall give you a box of chocolates tonight if you weren't here this morning. Just a father, so, uh, so we'll do that for everybody. There was a supper after church. Uh, tonight round in the youth hall so we invite everybody uh, to stay uh, for supper afterwards and stuff I just share with you a couple of things that are happening uh, in church uh, church is busy over these coming months so we're coming to the summer uh, this week uh, on Tuesday night Jim Weir uh, man up he's going to be on Jim Weir's going to be speaking and sharing a story of the trip up to Everest. Um, we're going to be having a barbecue. This will be a great night. There's nearly 100 tickets sold already, uh, which is brilliant for Tuesday uh, evening. Um, also, uh, I made a mistake this morning, which some people picked up on uh, and told me about at the door. Nobody ever does that with a pastor. But uh, <laughs> the church appreciation night, where we're appreciating you all by cooking your meal, it's not on the Tuesday night next week, it's on the Wednesday night. On the Wednesday, it was my mistake. I confess my faults before the church. It was my mistake, and so it's on the Wednesday evening uh, next week uh, uh, for that. So please, if you haven't put your card back in, please put that back in. Next Sunday night, we're holding a special youth service. Uh, over the last couple of years, as we know, we're locked down. One of the things that has really uh, suffered, in a sense, is our, is our kids and our youth work because we haven't been able to do uh, some of the summer schemes, certainly the camps that we used to do and stuff, and they recently did the Kids' Church Weekend. Well, this summer, all that is going to change because uh, we already have 105 kids signed up for the summer scheme. Uh, there were 78 kids signed up for the baseball camp, uh, and there are two youth camps. Now, we're not just doing youth camps just to take the kids away, just uh, banana boating and stuff. We're taking them to Rock Nations again, which has been life-changing for so many of our uh, people that aren't young, were young people, but are now adults now. And so we're taking 22 of them over to there, over to Bradford. Uh, and when they come back from that on the Sunday night, there were 25 of them travelling down uh, to the CCI youth camp called Pulse on the Monday. Uh, so they're literally travelling home, uh, getting their clothes washed, and then they're leaving uh, the next day. We really need to pray for the leaders, to be honest with you, as well. And so, so they're going to be doing that. So summer, we're, summer's going to be busy. Um, and so what we want to do is, is we, we made a commitment to uh, parents for everything that we do. We have the charity that works here. We work hard to raise money to keep the costs down uh, for everything that we do to enable all the kids and all the young people to go. Summer scheme, we, we charge £5 for a week, which is for nothing. It's pound a day and stuff. We get some funding in. Uh, but what we would like to do is we would like to give you the opportunity. I love the way I say that. I'd like to give you the opportunity. Uh, so next Sunday night, uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're, we're doing a special youth service. Pastor Reese is speaking and some of the young people will be uh, up here and stuff. And the whole offering next Sunday night is just going towards our kids and youth summer program uh, that's being run. We, we are believing this is going to be life-changing this is not just about sending them away to give them something to do. We believe it's going to be life-changing. And so we have we are, we are made a commitment as a church to put thousands into this. And we have every penny that we have been able to raise for the kids and the youth work. We're putting it into this and stuff. So next Sunday night, if you would like to give, we're leaving the bucket at the back of church. And actually what we're going to do, we're going to bless you. Because we don't feel as though you should, we, you know, you should give and we'll not give you anything back. So we're going to do a barbecue. And so whatever you give, we're going to give you a burger and a sausage. Not a burger or a sausage, but a burger and a sausage, okay? So I'll have no word of me not being generous. Not being, so, and so we're going to do that next Sunday night and stuff. So, which reminds me, the next announcement, is there anybody that would like to help do the barbecue next Sunday evening? <laughs> I'm looking for a few people to help me. Uh, obviously, I can't be in here and do the barbecue. I had thought about opening the door up there and we could just nip in and out and do that and that. So if you can help us, please ask. Uh, please come and see me at the end. But listen, most important thing is what we're doing over the summer. There are going to be two special Sunday night services where we're going to be inviting 
all the parents of all the kids that have attended both the summer scheme and also the baseball camp into church and we're just believing those nights once again and it'll be an opportunity to preach the gospel to share our faith and stuff with them you know churches are are closing everywhere we we have to face a reality they are closing and one of the main reasons was conversation in the bus on the way down is that just don't know how to get kids and young people in listen we're, we're at the opposite of that we know how to get kids and young people in and we want to keep these kids and young people because if we want to have a church of tomorrow this is where it begins and this is what we do and we are reaping what we have sown for many years and many of you have been involved in kids and youth work before you are reaping that fruit now in church and we want to continue uh, to do that and stuff so that's our summer program that's next uh, Sunday evening and stuff for for that so there's loads going on and stuff so we just pray as we come to the word father we come to you lord we thank you that we could gathered in your house tonight uh, father we thank you for where you have placed us as a church father your word is life-changing and we believe father as we do what you've called us to do that you will change people's lives pray and ask that that begins this evening lord father as we as we look at your word as we're challenged by your word for it's a life-giving word, Father God. And Father, we echo the words of the song that we sing, that, that, that God, you're so faithful, you're so good. We thank you for that tonight. Just pray for this short time as we gather around your word, in Jesus' name, amen. This is Father's Day, we are continuing on with uh, uh, what we're wearing series, so clothed with a new outfit we've called tonight. And uh, we're looking at the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, which most people, if you've been around church, will have heard uh, this story from Luke chapter 15. Uh, everybody loves getting new clothes, don't they? Everybody loves getting new clothes. If you're married and you say to your wife, he says, here's some money, go out and buy yourself a new outfit, you'll put a smile on her face immediately. <laughs> All the men know that, don't they? Yes, you know that. Yes, you do, because everybody loves new clothes. I know coming from England and there are particular times of the year, much like here because I discovered you get, when you were kids you got a new outfit on the 12th and then maybe a new outfit at Christmas and stuff and, and it's much the same isn't it, we love coming uh, Christmas Day and Christmas Day everybody comes and they've got their, their new outfits on, they've got the jumpers on that they have to wear for one day of the year. Uh, because a relative has bought it for them and stuff and then after you never see them in it and stuff but everybody loves new clothes there's something going on there's something about the, the the smell of them there's something about the fit of them there's something about going out and putting on uh, a new outfit and, and this is really uh, what we're going to pull out of this story uh, tonight you know the Thomas this morning and we had a great morning this morning listening to both Thomas share his testimony and Colin speaking he said a wee phrase that, that is both the light of a song but also what Jesus says in John 14 you know and he says and the line of the song in my father's house there's a place for me you know taking from what Jesus says to his disciples before he goes to the cross he says in my father's house there's a, there's a place for you there are many mansions I go there to prepare a place for you and it, and it helps us understand this is what God's plan is. This is what he wants to do for each and every one of us. And in Luke chapter 15, um, we, we see this story and Jesus talks about the lost. He starts talking about the lost sheep. And he starts then talking about the lost coins. Uh, and then he talks about the lost son or the prodigal son. I love the beginning of Luke chapter 15 because it tells us that Jesus is not in a synagogue. He's not in the temple. He's not in the church. It just simply says all the sinners and tax collectors gathered around him to listen to him. And I thought it was a wonderful picture of who Jesus is speaking to. All these people that are, wouldn't fit in or look, you know, sort of at place or at home in the temple or in the synagogue because there was no place for them. Yet they gather around here and Jesus speaks the perfect message to them. Because he simply says to them, says, listen, you're all lost. Let me tell you three stories. Uh, and to help you understand how Father God feels about you, what he's done uh, for you. Because in the story of the prodigal son, you know, Jesus identifies himself with God in the attitude of loving the lost. And so here we see this progression, as I said, through the three parables that, that Jesus speaks about the sheep. 
and he talks about a hundred of them as you know he keeps 99 but one gets lost and if we were honest I've said this before I've got 99 sheep the one sheep it's raining outside he's gone his own way that's his problem I would have left him Jesus doesn't do that he says no I'm going out to find him he says this is the lost sheep that's these it's showing us that individuals matter and so he breaks it down then and he says well the woman's got 10 pound coins and she loses two of them and stuff and thinks to herself well you've still got eight you probably look at it but he says she searches a house high and low you remember you know i'm sure we all remember at times in our life where we've been really poor like really broke like back of the settee broke you know where you're you know taking the cushions off and you're digging the hands down the back of the settee because you know you need to find 20 pence or a pound or something like that he says i i have no concept of cash so whenever i run out of money which is quite often in our house because like carlin said this morning two teenage daughters i go and raid the pockets of my trousers and my suits and i always come up a winner always come up a winner <laughs> because I've forgotten that money, the money's there. And the problem is this, and it's not finding the money, it's keeping the money from the rest of the family and stuff. If you can do that, you're okay. But Jesus tells his story and says, he says, he, he looks for the other two because they matter, but then he breaks it down even more, tells the story of the prodigal son because it demonstrates God's love to each individual. He doesn't say there was a crowd of them that went off to do their own thing and only those that came back he cared about. He talks about the individual and we see in this story the graciousness of the father overshadowing the sinfulness of the son. And that's the key, really, to the story of the prodigal son. We look at it and say, well, it's all about the prodigal coming home. It's all about him coming home. It's all about the jealous older brother who represents the religious people, the legalistic people who've always been there. But actually, the story is really about the graciousness of the father who represents God, and he oversees the sinfulness of the son. And I thought to myself, what a message for Father's Day. We talk about the fathers uh, that we are, but the greatest father, the role model, the perfect example is God the Father himself. Whatever our picture of fathers is based on sometimes our earthly experience that some of us will have amazing dads and, uh, and will have a great example of godly men. Or some of us will have examples of fathers who were just not there, who were just abandoned as kids. And so their picture of, of, of what a father is like is not, you know, sort of, well, how do I relate that to God? Well, here's a picture in this story of what God is like. And, you know, when I was standing there worshipping, you know, there's a word tonight, two words tonight, just for some people that just said, look, come home. That's it, come home. That's what this story is about. It's an invitation to, to come home. And, and you know, we sit in church and, and we listen to what goes on and we think we can make our own decisions about our life and stuff. And there's just an invitation that God says, come home, stop trying to work it out yourself. Stop, stop trying to do it in your own strength. He says, he's the one that gives you the strength. He's the one that gives you everything that you need. And you know, for some people, it's just those two words tonight that just simply say, come home, stop trying to work it out yourself. Uh, surrender. We see it in the story here. The words will come before you. Uh, Jesus continued in Luke 15, verse 11. When he, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country. There squandered his wealth in wild living. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? Here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. 
maybe like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servant, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. Your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father, said, You are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because his brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. One of the longest stories that Jesus shares uh, because it's probably one of the most important stories that he shares with the people that are listening. It had been relevant for that crowd of people who were lost because it tells us the situation, circumstances that they were in. But it was here, and we understand what the son does here, uh, because he's at an age where he thinks to himself he knows better than his father. And so it was literally shameful and rebellious for the younger son to ask for his inheritance. To, to give you an idea of inheritance at this time, it was almost like going to his father and saying, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because when you are dead, I can get the inheritance, the money that he thinks is rightfully his. It wasn't a case of, well, if you could give me some, you know, now so I could go and do what I want to do and stuff. He looks at him and he says, almost, I want you dead. Because if you're dead, then I could get there. So it tells us that the father does this. So, but the son is a picture of us all. Because there are times that we have wanted to turn our back. There are times that we have wanted our independence. There were times that we had wanted to be rebellious. There were times that we wanted to be free. And this son has a plan of action. It tells us at the beginning there what he's going to do. He says, after a time, after he gets what he feels is rightfully mine. You know, he's not only rebellious, he gives up his rights as well. Because he's not concerned with being a son anymore. He's not concerned with what that entails is only concerned because Jesus wants to express to the listeners this is what this man is interested in. Just being selfish, just me, what I want to do with my life, how I want to spend my money, how, what I want to do with my time. You see, it, it demonstrates here just simply the problem that we have with humanity. And Jesus is, is, is almost is sharing this with this group of people because they will understand it better than anybody. They're sitting there thinking they're going to get this nice story about sheep and about coins and about waterfalls and things like that. And Jesus gets to the heart of the matter when he says to them, he says, here's his son. And he tells his father, I wish you were dead, basically. And he goes off and he squanders all of the money. And, and he looks at it and, and what makes it even worse is it tells us that actually when the famine hits the land, he, he then looks at it and thinks, well, I've got no money left and I've got no friends left. And possibly he's thinking at the time as well, you know, my father might have been right, but when we're young, we, we, we would never admit that, would we? I mean, how many of us when we were teenagers or in our early 20s would ever have admitted anybody older than us was right? I mean, I would never have admitted it. I'm surprised how other people have sort of, you know, look at it and how much they've learned in all the time I've grown up. You know, because the point of it is this, is he looks at it and he says, this is all about me. This is all I'm going to do. 
And so he squanders it. He ends up there. And for, for him to be working with pigs, to explain that to a Jewish audience, for those who would have seen the pig as an unclean animal, this story just seems to get worse and worse and worse. So bad he just looks down and he sees the food that the pigs are eating. And he thinks, I could eat that. I, that, that's, that's how hungry he is. He, he, he could eat that. He has spent the money. He has squandered it. He has wasted it. He's now at this point. And, and there is a thought, and it's a great prayer. And this is a great prayer because sometimes we lengthen our prayers just to speak gobbledygook. But what we need to pray sometimes is a prayer that we find in this passage here. When there are people that are away from God that we love, we simply pray this prayer when it says, He came to his senses. That's a prayer we need to pray for people who are lost. They come to their senses. They came to their senses. We prayed that they would come to their senses. Because he says, he came to his senses. I thought, well, you know, if I go home and he's got it all worked out, the servants get treated better than this. You know, so listen, I've given up the right to be a son. I've given that right up. He's made that decision. Uh, and so he thinks to himself, if I go home and I say, well, why don't you make me a servant? And then I, at least I'll get a warm bed and a warm meal. And listen, I could live with that. And I've made a mistake. I've failed my father. I accept the consequences. And he's got it all planned out. And he begins on this journey looking for this second chance from his father. And this second chance actually comes in a different way than he totally realizes he thinks he's going home for a second chance to be a servant. But actually he's going home for a second chance to be a son again. Read this a few months ago. And it sticks with me. If you're telling yourself you don't deserve a second chance from God, remind yourself you didn't deserve the first chance either. What a powerful statement there. We, we, oh, we, could, we could have earned it the first. No, we didn't. We, we didn't deserve the first one. I don't deserve the second one. And for that matter, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, and I can keep going. If you're telling yourself you didn't deserve a second chance from God, remind yourself you didn't deserve the first chance from him either. And so he realizes he has to go home. There's no rights anymore, but he goes. You see, but what's important here is the depth of the son's repentance is matched only by the depth of the father's love. You see... I love this we thought because you don't know how often he did this. But I would say the father did this quite regularly, if not every day, because he was looking for his son to come home. I would say you'd imagine uh, the place he lived and it says he could see a long way off. It tells us that story. I would say every day he would have gone out, he would have looked over the hill. And even if he couldn't see the younger son coming, I'm sure the prayer of his heart, bring him home, bring him home. Bring him home. And then one day he looks over and he sees somebody coming in the distance and he knows it's his son. He knows it's and he recognizes uh, that, that it's his son. Uh, and almost I could sense there's probably a level of shock because the story doesn't tell us in a sense how long this has been. But we do know the persistence of the father. But the persistence of the father is, is representing God who is always looking for the people to come home. He's already presented exactly what he's done, but he's looking for the people to come. And so the father looks out, he sees the son from a long way off, and he doesn't stand there and say, I know what I would do. He's come to his senses now. Just wait till he arrives at the house here. <laughs> Where's my money? How are you going to pay it back? Let's be honest, we would do that. There's no liars in church. Come on. We would do that. He says, but he says he sees him a long way off. Jackie Roberts was preaching on this earlier this year and he shared a great thought that tonight. He said, in that custom, older men would never have run. They never, ever would have run. Story tells us that he lifts and he begins to run towards his son. What an amazing picture of what God does. We think that God is just waiting there as we come, in a, in a sense. But here, you know, God ran. J. John explains it this way. It's the only time in the Bible that, that God is described as one who runs, as somebody who runs, and he runs towards his younger son. He runs towards his younger son. And the younger son has this, this prepared speech. He, he has this, 
you know, listen, I know I'm wrong. I, I know I'm not worthy to be called your son. And, and he's prepared it as he's walked a long journey home because there's nothing more humiliating for him to admit that, it, that his father was right, that he's wasted all his money, the shame that he lives with because he wished his father was dead. He took the money from him. He spent it on prostitutes and immoral living. He's done all that and everybody's left him and he comes over and he's got this prepared speech. You know, I, I don't call me your son. I, I, I can't be called your son anymore. And he comes home and, and he sees his father and his father, I love this, he, he stops him almost in mid-sentence. Stops him in his prepared speech. I mean, you know, when we're, we're parents with kids and, you know, when our kids were younger and they do something wrong, they say, I'm sorry. You know what the next line is, don't you? What are you sorry for? And then, well, I'm sorry for, no, be, be specific. What are you sorry for? We lay it out for them, don't we? It says, what are you sorry for? And you have to do that. Maybe you do that with your wife as well, do you know what I mean? So you do what you're sorry for. And it says, and, and here, he does this prepared speech. That actually doesn't really make any difference. Doesn't mean, it doesn't mean anything. Because he's thought to himself, this is what I have to say to get back into the, the sort of the, the arms of the Father, to get back into the goodwill of the Father. And how many of us do that with, with our Heavenly Father? We think we've got prepared speeches and we've got things that we need to say and the things that we need to do. And often God just says, come home. He says, come home. He says, don't, don't, don't worry about the prepared speech and, and how you're going to punish yourself and how you're going to do this. You made a mistake, you failed. He says, you know you've done wrong. You know, the, the son didn't come home because he didn't know he'd done anything wrong. He knew he had been wrong. And he levels up at the house with his father. And the father runs to encounter the son. And he gives him this new clothing. He gives him four things, and I think this is great. He gives him four things because none of the four things brought to the prodigal son were necessities. He gives him the best robe. Love it. He says, not any old robe. He gives you, bring out the best robe. But bring out the one that, the, you know, the, 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 you know that, the, the one that's been kept for the special occasion. And he brings out, because I would imagine the son stands in these rags. He's been working on a pig farm. You can imagine his smell. You can imagine the sweat of the travel. You can imagine all of that. And the father just, bring out the best robe. And, and I would imagine the servants are even looking it's a son that's taken all your money. It's a son that's squandered it and wasted it. Bring out the best robe. And he's ragged with this smell. But Jesus is talking this. And when he talks to a parable, there's a meaning with it. There's something that's said with it. And because the robe represents the covering. It represents the covering of the shame. It represents the covering of the guilt. And Jesus is almost saying this to the crowd here. He said, listen, there's coming a time when actually it won't be about the legalism of religion. It won't be about where you were born or who you were born to. It's almost like Jesus is saying to them, says there'll be a time when I'll go to the cross. Uh, and when I die for you, he says that will cover the shame. That will cover your guilt. And that's what it does. Isaiah has already spoken of it in 61 verse 10 when he says... I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in the robe of his righteousness. He let the son know by putting the robe on him. You are loved and you've always been loved. You are accepted and you've always been accepted. You are home and you've always been welcome at home. He's covering him with this robe, but then he gives him the ring. And as he gives him the ring, you'll see the ring represents the identity. It represents the authority. It's almost like saying, you're back home. This is the ring. You belong to me. You belong to this family now. He says, you belong to me. It's representing that identity that gets changed when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life. We think it's all about us, but it's not. It is all about him. 
He gives us the robe that covers the guilt and the shame. He gives us the ring which is a new identity and purpose in our life. And then he does this, he gives us the sandals. Uh, and you see, a servant would not have worn any sandals. This guy's been a slave in a foreign country. They would have removed his sandals straight away to stop him from running away. Part of the story is we don't know how he got away, but what we do know is he did get away to come home. You see, he would not have been able to wear the sandals, but the sandals represented a renewed purpose and meaning for life. And all of these things are given to him. All of these things are given. The best robe, the ring, and the sandals. Why? Because it represents what God does in our life. Jesus is saying to the sinners, the tax collectors, the worst of the worst. He says, hey, there's new life, there's new purpose, there's new identity. You just need to come home to God. And he shares that with them. You see, had the son been dealt with according to the law, there should have been a funeral, not a celebration. Had he been dealt with according to the law because he disowned his father. There was no place for him in the family home anymore. He had disowned him. So even as he had turned up at the house, the Lord would have said, you can't let him in. Send him away again. He's made his choices. That's his lot in life. He took his money. He wished I was dead. Send him away. That's how the law would have dealt with it. Jesus Christ is now about the law. He's not about the law, he's about the grace that he has, that he has bought on the cross through his own body, through his own sacrifice. Psalm 103 verse 10, the Lord does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Isn't that a wonderful bit of news? I do not get what I deserve for I know what I would deserve. I would be treated according to the law and I'm not I'm treated according to grace and you see the final thing is that gives him the fattened calf see it says bring the fattened calf and kill it but actually the proper translation is this bring the fattened calf and sacrifice it there's a sacrifice because it's thanksgiving because the younger son has come home so they're not bringing the fattened calf and, and looking at it and saying, well, we'll just kill it because he's home. We'll all have a nice uh, beef burger sandwich and stuff. And he's not doing that. There could be no sacrifice for there, for there could be no salvation without the sacrifice. See, this fattened calf had been set aside. Uh, and the reason it was a fattened calf was this, what they'd done is, and all the other calves were allowed to roam free on the hillside and stuff. But it was one fattened calf. And he was simply allowed just to stay in the, the cow shed, for want of a better word. Wasn't allowed to move very much. But they just filled him with food. And you see, the fattened car probably thought this was great. He says, there's all my mates out on the field. When it's raining, he's probably laughing at them as cows laugh at each other. <laughs> but he's looking at it. And he's thinking, he doesn't even realise he's a special one. Doesn't even realise here that he's been kept for a special occasion. And they just keep fattening him up and fattening him up. It's estimated that this would have been about 500 to 600 pounds. This wouldn't have been, this would have been massive. But it's kept for a special occasion because what would have happened is everybody would have been invited to the party. Everybody would have been told, listen, the son, my younger son is home. We're throwing a party. We're throwing a celebration. Why is Jesus saying this to these people? Because elsewhere, he's already said, he says, when there's one sinner that gets saved, the angels rejoice in heaven. He's saying that because he's trying to get them to understand, hey, listen, you lot, you lot are the sinners, the tax collectors, you lot think you've got no place in God's family, in God's house. He says, see, when one of you gets saved, boy, they throw open the window of heaven and throw a party because you know what it is to be lost. So when Jesus finds you, it's like the only thing we can do is celebrate. 
He says, you know what it is to be dead in your sins, all the stuff that you've done, because they would have related, uh, spent his money on prostitutes, squandered his money gambling, done all the other stuff that would have been just uh, totally immoral. They would have understood that and said, when they realized that, what do you mean, I can come home? I could be forgiven for all of those stuff. They say, yes. The windows of heaven are thrown open and there is this huge party of celebration for these people who are miles and miles away from God, who cannot get any close, can't get close to him because of the law, but Jesus is there explaining about, listen, you are lost, but you can be found in me. And I thought, what a wonderful story to share on Father's Day. That the Father's graciousness covers the son's sinfulness there was nothing that could keep him from coming home there was nothing that could say well i'm at rock bottom or god couldn't love me or god couldn't forgive me jesus gives the example are you worse than this son uh, have you squandered more than this have you have you moved further away from god and suddenly there is this open door for them to sit and to listen. See, we get upset, and with this I'll finish because of my time. We get upset because often we're like the older brother. We're there and we're like, well, I, I can accept that person getting saved. Life wasn't too bad. You know, the older brother is there. And you know, the older brother never got upset about the ring. He never got upset about the robe. Never got upset about the sandals. He actually wasn't really upset about the younger brother coming home. What really angered the older brother was the sacrifice of the fattened calf. Because he said, he said, look, I, I, you know, when me and my friends were around, you know, you, you didn't ever even give us anything that we could go and sort of party and celebrate and stuff. He was annoyed because the sacrifice was made for the biggest sinner of them all. And see, today it's still sometimes what annoys people, the Christians, the church, because the sacrifice has been made for the biggest sinners of them all. It's the only way Jesus could do that, all and everyone. It's the only way he could open the door for everybody to simply say, everybody who's lost can be found. Everybody who's dead can become alive in me. That's why the older brother was annoyed. And that's where we're at tonight. As we come to the end of our service, there is that invitation for those people who are here just to simply come home. You know, we have everything we need at home. There are times when you talk to people and, you know, I'm chatting to some of the fellas here because it's Father's Day. You know, everything we have is at home. Everything that God wants to give us and bless us is at home. But so many men and so many fathers sometimes look for other things thinking, that's what life is about. That's the excitement. That's the buzz. Actually, it's not. Everything we have is at home. So many of us have been off at times and done our own thing and lived our own way. And the invitation tonight is just simply this, come home. God just says, come home. He says, home is the best place to be. Home is where the purpose is, the identity is, the belonging is. Home is where your family is. Maybe that's for somebody tonight as we are here, as we come to finish. Let us pray. Father, we come to you tonight, Lord. The picture, the father in this story, is a picture of your graciousness your mercy and your love which covers the sinfulness of the, the sons of the son who went and lived his own way and father you sent Jesus as the answer for those of us who were lost can be found for those of us who were dead we can be made alive it's all because of your son Jesus Christ Father, we thank you for your love tonight, the love of the Father, the compassion of the Father. The Father, you look for us and see us a far way off. And the invitation is just there for you to say, come home, come home. I've been waiting for you. Stop your prepared speech. Don't think you've got to whip and beat yourself up. 
The Father is there with open arms and we thank you for that tonight, God. And Father, if there's any in here tonight, God, Father just needs that word of encouragement to their heart, just needs to know that you have given them that invitation to come home. We pray for them tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.
allow me to pray, church? Father, we, we lift up tonight those, those in this place that would feel separated, God. Those who feel that they are in darkness, those who feel far away. And God, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, would you bring them home? God, we thank you for the word that was spoken by our pastor. And God, we pray that that would resonate with us, God. Would we, would we look out for the things that would lead us astray? Would we look out for those who are wandering? And God, would you help us? God, would you, would you help us? Would you give us strength? And by your Holy Spirit, would you move in our lives, God? Father, we thank you for this time that we have spent. We thank you, God, that we have glorified you. It's in your Son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen.